Have you ever looked at someone thriving in their business and wondered, how did they do it? Have you ever thought that you can't have mental health and success? Have you doubted your own ability to create a financially thriving career that still has your well-being at the forefront? Well, welcome to the Boardroom Brain Podcast, where we tackle those very questions. I'm Dr. Lauren Cook, and I'm a clinical psychologist and speaker that takes you behind the business and inside the minds of today's most successful and personally thriving leaders. We're taking a look at our guests' secrets to success, how they bounce back when they've been knocked down, and what advice they have for you. Oh, and I've got another motive too. As a clinician and company consultant who frequently sees employees struggling mentally and knocking on the door of burnout, I'm invested in having conversations about how we can bring more wellness into company culture. I wanna make sure that everyone has the absolute best work experience that we all can have. And I believe that includes making sure our businesses are invested in their employees as people, not just as time card stampers and payroll lists. So get excited to listen, learn, and leverage your own leadership skills. These conversations will help you tap into your own bravery while helping you reprioritize your sense of well-being, both at work and when you're off the clock. So step inside the conference room with me and welcome to the boardroom. Your brain is about to get a major bonus. Welcome to the Boardroom Brain Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Cook. I cannot wait for our guests that we have joining us today. I just finished their book. I loved it. You're going to want to read it too. Let me introduce to you Lee Mar. She is a leadership coach and collaboration consultant who has led diverse initiatives, including a training program to promote an experimental mindset among multi-generational teams at the NASA Goddard Space Flight Center and a decade-long cross-sector collaboration to reduce toxic chemicals in partnership with the Green Science Policy Institute, Harvard University, IKEA, Google Green Team, and Kaiser Permanente. She's the co-founder of Astria Strategies, and Lee lives in Berkeley, California with her husband and their daughter. And unfortunately, we weren't able to have Justin join us today, but I still want to tell you about Lee's co-author, Justin Zorn. He served as both a meditation teacher and a senior policymaker in the U.S. Congress. He's a Harvard and Oxford-trained specialist in the economics and psychology of well-being, who has written for The Atlantic, Washington Post, The Guardian, Harvard Business Review, Foreign Policy, Wired, Time, CNN, and others. <laughs> and before we dive in, I want to let all our listeners know where they can find their book called Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise. Like I said, I just read it. It's going to be our pick for Brain Health Book Club here in the month of January. It can be found at the publisher's website, HarperCollins, as well as Amazon, Bookshop, IndieBound, or anywhere you like to buy your books. And they also really want to make a special shout out. If you love listening on Audible, listen to the audio recording that they have by Prentice Onayemi. Amazing audio narration. So please tune in for that. Lee, welcome to the show today. Oh, thank you for that generous introduction, Lauren. Glad to be here. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, one thing we love to kick off our show, I sense you probably like to read. Obviously, you like to write. You just wrote this amazing <laughs> book, Golden. We love to kick off the show by asking our guests, what is something you're reading these days? What's something inspiring you? Mm. You know, I've taken a turn towards mythology um, just to create some spaciousness. There's something about reading mythology or really modern day interpretations of mythology. So, um, 
oh, it's Madeline Miller, I believe that. Yes. Yeah, Achilles, mm-hmm. the Song of Achilles. I mean, I haven't gotten to, I have to confess, like reading other people's things or reading things that aren't about silence or noise. Like I haven't had a lot of space <laughs> for that. So to really drop into Circe and uh, mm-hmm. the Song of Achilles has been glorious. And so much so that I've even gone back and listened to the Audible uh, recordings too, to just take it in a different way. Yeah, oh, highly recommend it. Oh, I have one more. Also a main character in the book who you'll know, we recognize Jarvis J. Masters. Mm. I also went back to, to listen to his books, which I read for the book, Mm -hmm. but just to, again, take it in, in that auditory way. And, um, that bird has my wings. Mm -hmm. Oprah picked it for her book club and Mm -hmm. he became instantly a New York times bestselling author. And I'll probably just mention a little bit about him as we talk about silence, but he's a main teacher in our book. Yeah, I think that would be be a great segue for that because he was one of my favorite people that you incorporated in the book. I thought that just brought so much life to the concept of of finding silence and space when you are not in a silent space. So yeah, tell our listeners a little Mm -hmm. bit about who Jarvis is. Yeah, so Jarvis is a friend, a man who's been incarcerated on death row for 32 years for a crime, the preponderance of evidence should suggest and we certainly believe he didn't commit Mm -hmm. his case is on appeal and anybody who wants to learn more about him they can go to freejarvis.org to read up but he comes in as a primary teacher in the book to really help I guess dispel the myth that we have to have sort of a pristine environment in order to find quiet Mm -hmm. because he's on death row in San Quentin which is a cement, metal environment, cacophonous, echoous. Men are constantly shouting and hollering for one another. Their keys and boots and, you know, just the, the echo of, of that sound. Mm-hmm. And nevertheless, he finds quiet there. And that's actually what's kept him sane all this time um, on death row is that he could find his internal quiet. In the book, we look at auditory noise, like I'm describing there being in San Quentin. And then for us, informational noise, really the mass proliferation of information available Mm -hmm. to us, usually grabbing for our attention through our screens. So we're looking at auditory informational and then internal noise and internal quiet. And um, he's finding that even in that setting. And like he said, like I said, that's what's really kept him steady um, and equanimous in this time, that in his practice and his just giant heart. So mm. um, yeah, he comes in as the main teacher because Justin and I, even though we wrote this book, we interviewed dozens and dozens of fascinating people, neuroscientists, uh, politicians, poet, Jarvis, Jarvis on death row, um, all sorts of people, all walks of life, but all devotees of silence to ask them what's the deepest silence you've ever known Mm. and that question really led us on this journey of um, exploring auditory informational and internal noise and external and internal quiet and the many many routes to finding it this is a non-meditator's guide to getting beyond the noise so the punchline isn't go meditate unless that's your thing which we (laughs) Right. It's happy for you if it is. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite aspects of the book is that you really did bring it beyond meditation, which I think is maybe the go-to place that we think about that silence and, and peace. I think of silence as peace in a sense too, can be found yeah. in so many different spaces. 
And I think what I loved most about the book, you know, I read a lot of self-help. Our Brain Health Book Club, we've got a lot of different books we recommend. And, you know, a lot of these self-help books in a way, they're telling you to add more things to your life. And if anything, I felt like this book was almost inviting me to take away some things in my life Mm. to embrace, you know, what would it be like if I don't put on my music today and just go for a silent walk Um, or to just listen to the birds outside my window? I did that this morning, you know, whereas I wouldn't necessarily think to slow down and do that before. So I'm curious, kind of the reactions that you're getting from people as they they take in Golden. Oh, well, I'll tell you about that, but I just want to thank you for that reflection because so much of self-help in that world, which I've been in for decades now too, is like you say, additive um, and not subtractive or simplifying in that way. And so that you say that, that that's what with one of your takeaways, especially in the work you're doing means so much to me. And so, yeah, that I think is that was a big aha for us. And we didn't want it to turn to a bunch of gadgetry recommendations, like not more stuff, not more to do's, not like finger wagging that sometimes happens in meditation when you feel to mostly internally finger wagging, you know, I should meditate. I should do this. I should do that. Instead, it's really like what actually brings you quiet and joy and peace. Mm -hmm. For me, I told you, I kind of came from teaching dance. So I was in an auditorily loud environment, but my internal quiet is pristine in that environment. And so to not, I guess, to stay open and not be surprised, too surprised by what actually brings you quiet, if we can observe and notice the signals that tell us when we're saturated with noise, Mm -hmm. and the signals that tell us when we're actually experiencing peace and quiet. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yes. So so it, it caused me to really experience the world in a different way, which I appreciated so much. And I, I'd love for us to, there's so much great research that you pull in, in the book. It reminded me a little bit of, of one book we read recently um, called Stolen Focus by yeah. Oh, great. So book. good. So good. <laughs> and it reminded me of some of the things you talk about too. This isn't, we're not imagining this. There is more noise now and it really does affect our mental health. Uh, even the, the, research you pulled in about the Nixon era and how there was actually a movement to really try and reduce health as a public health measure uh, and learning how, you know, things changed with the Reagan administration. That was all new information for me. So can you share with our listeners a little bit about how noise really is increasing in our environment? Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, asked this question, is it really louder? Does it just feel like it? <laughs> and the answer is, it's not just you listeners. <laughs> it is louder exponentially and on all types of levels. So we look at auditory noise, that which we experience in our ears and really even in our nervous systems when it's quite loud. Mm-hmm. Um, And we look at a proxy indicator for that because we're not really so great at measuring decibel levels here. In Europe, I'll say, for example, there's um, the World Health Organization estimates that 450 million people, about 65% of the population, live at an auditory decibel level that is harmful to health. So that's in Europe. Yeah, very surprising, but they're doing a better job measuring it. So we look at the proxy indicator of emergency sirens. So if you think about it, emergency sirens have to get our attention, right? To get us out of the way, to get us to move over all those things. And in the last hundred years, the, the um, decibel levels of those sirens have gone up 
six times louder to get our attention. So that tells us the environment is louder than ever it's ever been. Mm -hmm. So that's just on the auditory level. Most people have no trouble believing this (laughs) this fact. (laughs) Actually, all of them, I think. Mm -hmm. And then informational. So we wanted to create a, you know, we're sort of creating this category of informational and it's digital. It's the stuff that comes through our screens, but it's really the mass proliferation of information available to us. Mm -hmm. Much of it is grabbing for our attention and that really overlaps with stolen focus. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, a lot of people are doing deep work in this regard because our attention is being commoditized much like a pristine redwood forest is not valued when it's just standing there beautifully. Mm-hmm. It's only valued when it's chopped down, cut up and sold at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Our attention is treated similarly by our economic system, GDP. It's a zero if we're not like doing clicks and you know eyeballs on a page and it's... Um, you know, it's, I'm sorry, it's, yeah, if we're not doing that and it's zero, if we're doing the things we enjoy, like rolling yes. around with our children or looking at art or spending deep time with friends, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So reading a great book. <laughs> so um, is that getting louder or is that getting more, um, you know, aggressive? So the past CEO, Eric Schmidt in 2010, he was the CEO of Google, mm-hmm. um, made a striking estimate that in every two days, we create as much information as we did from the dawn of civilization to 2003. (laughs) Yeah, I know that one takes a minute. Every two days, I'll repeat it. (laughs) We create as much information as we did from the dawn of civilization to 2003. Mm. So we are drowning in information. Other studies are showing we're switching tasks and clicking different things every 19 seconds. So the quality of our attention is just chopped up. And Mm -hmm. and so if you're feeling that, I'm feeling that, and your listeners, you you know something about this. You're feeling this firsthand. Mm -hmm. For me, one of the signals I'm drowning in that type of scenario, the loudness and the information saturation is that I get irritable. Yeah. I'm never irritable. That's not my that's not really my default. It's an indicator of a saturation of noise. Mm -hmm. So all that's going on externally and then internally, what's going on with our internal soundscapes, if you will. Mm -hmm. So Professor um, Ethan Cross from University of Michigan estimates something. We listened to something like 300. You got him up there? Yes. (laughs) Excellent. He's on the shelf. It's a great, that's a great read Mm -hmm. Um, and a great exploration of chatter. So internal chatter, the things we tell ourselves about ourselves often harmful things, often just on a loop, you could say, you know, worry about the future and fretting about the past, ruminating about the past. So he estimates we listen to something like 320 State of the Union addresses every day of internal compressed speech. Mm -hmm. I would say this area of really what's going on internally is kind of the frontier being explored in science and neuroscience in particular, psychology. It's fascinating. We loved it taking that turn. But our takeaway and all that research is that while there's still a lot to be uncovered, mm-hmm. it's getting more and more noisy and we can look at depression and anxiety and other um, indicators on the rise. So yes, in a word, yes, it is louder than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And in this book, we assert there's still nevertheless ways for us to do the work of getting finding quiet individually in, in friendships and in families Mm-hmm. in co-working arrangements as co-workers, you know, uh, mm-hmm. on teams and also as a society at large. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
It's definitely louder. I feel that. And I, I really believe there's a direct correlation with why we're seeing more anxiety and depression than ever before. Um, and, you know, one thing that I think about a lot of our listeners are in their 20s, 30s, you know, they're establishing their careers. And you, you wrote something towards the end of the book that really hit home for me about this idea of the spirit of if I don't keep up in this rat race, in the noise, in the mm -hmm. hustle culture, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term, I'm going to get left behind. Like, I'm not going to be successful. I'm not going to make it. Maybe those are the chatter thoughts like Ethan Cross talks about. Maybe those are also real fears, though, you know, mm -hmm. where for so many people, um, you know, entrepreneurs included, if you're not keeping up with a social media presence, it is hard to to sometimes have your footing in the industry. So what what do you think for those folks who are listening and, and afraid to step out of the noise? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to do is to normalize that in this culture that people are feeling FOMO, essentially, if you're yeah. missing out and getting behind in that is very real. And we, we have a whole chapter on why silence is scary. And I think missing out is one of those things, um, a big thing. And we, we break that down in the book. I can, I'll touch more on that. But also just fear of being with ourselves, that which might arise, um, that we fear, you know, fear will arise that the unknown, what happens in that space. I mean, awkward silence. I have a teenager and awkward silence is a horrifying thing <laughs> for her to imagine, you know, the, the not knowing exactly what to say and having that pause in a conversation. So in this book, we're really trying to broaden an appreciation for what silence really offers us. And if our real deep intention is to be on purpose you know, our own purpose to mm -hmm. connect with real needs in the world mm -hmm. and to really help serve in that way and all different, you know, entrepreneurial and private sector, uh, public sector, mm -hmm. then we would argue that you have to be able to attune to mm -hmm. find some quiet and attune to what is really needed in this moment to not just be contributing to all that noise, mm -hmm. being in that reactive place, you know, over posting, over sharing, overworking over, you know, you know, I mean, your, your show is dedicated to this. That is the, if you follow that trajectory, burnout is where it goes, right? Yes. There's just no, you know, you may achieve some things, you may achieve some things that just amount to whatever, nothing. Mm -hmm. If you really want to, you know, be um, high impact mm -hmm. in your work, we argue that you really need to have that reflective space, mm -hmm. that contemplative space. Doesn't mean you need to be on a cushion or, you know, in a, in a retreat, but mm -hmm. that reflective attuning, you know, contemplative space. So you are essentially doing the work that really has is in the, in the direction you're heading and want to be heading mm -hmm. and changing course when you're not like, there's something about pulling back sometimes. And, and, you know, even if it's a two degree shift in mm -hmm. where you're heading, as we, we say in systems coaching, a, a team that makes a two degree shift could end up on a different continent. You really want to tune in and make sure you're heading in the right direction. That requires some quiet, mm -hmm. some silence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's worth it. It gets scary. We get it. It's worth it. There's all kinds of forces pushing us to be in the grind culture mm -hmm. and the grind culture, that noise creating hustle, whatever, it doesn't end well. And we're not even living in it well right now. So no. we got to be courageous and we got to venture into some spaces that we're not 
comfortable and de definitely not encouraged to go into. So I couldn't agree with you more that we need to embrace the discomfort. You know, I, I see a lot of my clients really struggling with that, those distress tolerance skills, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> and I, I think part of why I find a lot of us numb with noise is because it just feels so hard to sit with ourselves. And mm -hmm. I see this for a lot of millennials and Gen Z's, especially, right? The TikTok scroll is going on constantly. We've always got a podcast we're listening to. I mean, the amount of minutes people spend on their Spotify playlists, right? It's like a point of pride. Uh, what advice would you have? I want to lean even more into that awkward silence you were just speaking of. What are some tangible ways that people can lean into that maybe uncomfortable silence and step into that a bit more? Mm -hmm. I'd like to, yeah, touch on that and also kind of just, you know, we're not being pro, you know, prohibitionist here. It's yeah. like pot, you know, definitely not anti-podcast, right? Definitely not, you know, anti an audible book or, right. or even some zoning out some like, you know, it's just staying really, really attuned. When am I actually quietening myself? Like my brother's in podcasting and he says, you know, podcasts make that internal chatter go quiet when I get engaged in a story. Mm. So that's like a good use of podcasting. I'm taking in information. I'm, I'm like getting out of the, the internal chatter, that worry. So sometimes it can be the perfect thing, but it's not always the perfect thing. And just to pay attention to when you're actually stuffing too much mm. in and creating all those. So it's about those signals. I just touched on just a little bit. So there are signals, um, physical somatic signals. We might have a tightening in the jaw. It was just a couple, you know, the shoulders come up to the, <laughs> it's come up to the ears. <laughs> You're irritable with your loved ones and friends, <laughs> all those kinds of, you know, there's, so there's some, you know, emotional things, some physical uh, signs. Uh, could be even how your um, thinking is going. If it is getting more looped and more maybe fixated, obsessive. Mm -hmm. So that's a sign that you're, it's too much. It's mm -hmm. too much. You need to pull back, you know, and find some quiet. Now, when is it quiet? That's really bringing you quiet. Well, mm -hmm. it might be something kind of unusual. Like I said, I just taught a dance class and that created that internal quiet. So we spoke with a professor of uh, biobehavioral health and medicine at Penn state, Joshua mm -hmm. Smythe. Mm -hmm. He said, quiet is what people think quiet is. And he told us about a guy in one of his studies. He does these large scale mindfulness and stress reduction studies. Mm -hmm. This gentleman um, was a chainsaw carver. Oh, that's how he found his quiet. So flow states of all kinds can be those things. Moments of awe, doodling, crosswords, you know, a ritual of making coffee with just 10% more focus and mindfulness on it, mm -hmm. any number of things. So really, I would say to look throughout your life and find those places and give them more juice, like give mm -hmm. them more, honor them more. They're doing something really important. When you just step outside to hear the song of birds, for example, or take in the wind or the sun and let it just be on your skin for a bit. Mm -hmm. That's not just a, I don't, that's not just nothing. That's not just, um, cutting out on work or something that's getting replenished. That's yeah. connecting with life. Yes. That's, that's a beautiful thing and we need it. And we're way too disconnected. Mm. Um, at this point, most of us feel that way. There's so much more available to us when we're actually connected, mm -hmm. um, on, on a bigger, broader level to other humans, to life, the life itself. 
um, yeah, it will make for beautiful, more beautiful relationships, more quality work. But that piece about silence, I'll just say one thing about is just like to be a little bit, um, to give yourself even like little bite-sized chunks, uh, kind of little experiments with silence. So maybe you haven't seen a friend for a really long time and you're going to get together. And of course, you're going to want to catch up a lot. Maybe you're going on a hike, say. So I'll often do this loop where the uphill is like, we're like, you know, we're going really fast and we're complaining about all things or we're all fired up or we're all excited <laughs> and we get nice and tired. And then we get into the top to some kind of view mm-hmm. and we just hold a little bit of silence there together mm-hmm. and take that in. So it doesn't, silence doesn't have to be in solitude. It can be with others. You can make a little agreement, you know, and just kind of build that capacity together. It could be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I love the theme of flow in that. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Mahaley Chicks Mahaley. I yeah. Love um, yeah. Getting in those flow states. And also I'm really hearing a theme of gratitude in what you're saying of being really present to just take in, you know, to not just go through the motions. I think so many of us are so future forward focused of like, mm-hmm. what's my next deadline, my next box to check. And what I'm really hearing and what you're saying, Lee, is be present, soak it up like a piece of bread with some olive oil and, <laughs> and really lean into that gratitude piece. Do you feel like gratitude ties in with this element of, of sitting and embracing the silence sometimes? I do. And I, and it actually took me a, a bit, you know, it's like getting into the writing and really realizing that there was something about silence, which does create that space of gratitude. It's, it is the space where I am with it enough or present enough to honor what's happening and celebrate what's happening. It's not just like somber, quiet (laughs) silence. Isn't necessarily like that. It's also a celebration of life. So gratitude comes pouring in for Mm -hmm. me. I just feel gratitude um, when that silence is there because it is, this world is astonishing. It's a beautiful time, a beautiful place to mm-hmm. time to be alive. And the, the gift of being able to bear witness to other people's lives, to what's going on around us, the miracle that is this life, awe, mm-hmm. you know, to be in awe. So yeah, gratitude is what comes rushing in. Oh, how beautifully said. I think people will listen to that that sound bite there many a time. That's mm. that's a really beautiful sentiment. I love that. And you know, we do talk about business and, and all of that on our podcast and the psychology of of the work environment. You know, one thing I'm thinking about, maybe it's easier to find silence when we're on our own. Like I know that I find moments of quiet a little bit easier by myself. And many of us, we work with a team or we have other people we interact with, and it can be especially awkward when there's a silence. People can misinterpret it or people get uncomfy. What advice do you have, you know, for people in their work environments for how we can maybe normalize uh, moments and times of quiet? Because that's when all the, the good stuff can really bubble up. Well, that's it. I think you, it really starts with a bit of a conversation and some awareness. So I work with a lot of um, introverts and a lot of scientists and engineers are introverts. And we don't realize this, but when we come together in workplaces, we are biasing towards an extrovert, towards mm-hmm. the quickest and the fastest. That's our, the tyranny of the quickest and the loudest and the fastest. Mm-hmm. Um, and our quality of thinking, our quality of say, let's say it's idea generation on a team. 
really goes down, becomes more conventional if we just go with that quick, you know, that speedy, loud um, thing. So it really takes some some time for in a meeting for some people to really chime in, offer ideas, even those of us who are more extroverted, um, to actually hear the quieter voices in ourselves, right? So it's really to everyone's benefit that we create a little bit more space. So what does that look like? And so I'm very interested in this as I'm working with a lot of teams who are coming together for a shared mission, something complicated, or no, actually I'll say something complex, like removing toxic chemicals from our um, homes and environment. And so this is not something that's like the answer is going to be easy peasy or else we would have had it already. <laughs> so we really need to deeply contemplate and deeply strategize. So creating space, even inside a meeting to maybe connect first and foremost, why we're here together. Why is it important to work on this? Mm -hmm. Just like a minute of just letting the road dust settle from where we came and all the hectic of whatever we're leaving behind and get present to the purpose. So that can create a little bit of space in no time mm -hmm. to do idea generation, for example, a little differently to allow for some internal reflection. Maybe people can write or think alone. Mm -hmm. They can post ideas, um, you know, again, in silence or in relative silence, give people a chance to peruse, even give some, some, you know, little dots or something that you can vote and mm -hmm. giving people the uh, overnight to think on things. Yes. So we can t take this on. I mean, you know, of course it depends on who's in charge and decision makers and their willingness, mm -hmm. but if we can open a conversation, if it's a more open work environment, there's so much that can be um, shared in terms of research of psychological safety and all these things that the quiet helps facilitate. Mm -hmm. And so there's plenty of evidence that a, that brainstorming I talked about, that it's all a fastest and large doesn't do us any good. We know that that just takes up time. None of us want to waste more time, right? Mm -hmm. That if we actually do create more time for reflection, more ways for, for different types of thinkers and learners and speakers to contribute, then we will have a diversity of ideas come in. Mm -hmm. That makes for better decisions. That makes for better, you know, programs and plans and products and all those things. Mm -hmm. So, and then when we go off into more deep thinking modes, you know, that we don't pack the agendas, you know, everyone loves the coffee breaks the most when you're at a conference, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's a reason yeah. for that. It actually gives you a little time to reflect and be. So it's, it, you know, again, depends on your work environment. You may not have a lot of control. We talk about sphere of control in the book, you know, and you mentioned an individual work can be in that central circle of sphere of control, that which we have the most control over. Mm -hmm. you know, it's our, it's us making a deal with ourselves. Okay. I'm going to set my timer for 50 minutes and I'm going to get up and walk outside. You know, I'll finish my thought and then I'll walk outside get a little sun rays, hear the bird song, hear the wind, and then come back in and start writing again. That's my deal with myself. I don't have to negotiate with anybody. I don't have to convince anybody. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. And sometimes on some teams and in work environments and in different situations, we can really inviting conversations where, you know, the default in this open op office environment, we might say, mm -hmm. is that we can interrupt each other or I am each other all the time, anytime for any reason. And their expectation is to respond immediately, right? right? So that, what that does to our attention is chop it up 
and we don't get any opportunity for deep work, which is another area I'm sure you've looked into with Cal Newport's work. Mm -hmm. So important. The quality of our work, you know, we don't get that deep, thoughtful way to contribute, you know? Mm -hmm. So can we bracket the times that, you know, where we have focused work and then we have the time to do meetings and we're expected to IM not, and, you know, respond to that message, not instantly, but within whatever, however many hours, anything we can open the conversation. And usually, well, actually, I would say usually, but you asked about the response to our book. One, one response is that no one is arguing with us about this being a problem, the noise (laughs) and the lack of sight, not one person, Mm. nobody, everybody gets it. So there's a shared yearning. That means there's so much space to um, to create something new, to mm-hmm. question the default of how we are together. Because that that drive that we talked about with the economic system and the hustle culture, you know, it's going through every aspect of our lives mm-hmm. and creating that that like. Argh. But the quality and the depth and that you know the ability to reflect and really do good work be in right relationship with one another, be thoughtful about what our purpose is for being here, you know, how we want to contribute in this life is like, yeah, we need space for that. It requires space. <laughs> it's so worth it. <laughs> yeah, we we need it so much. And it is hard, deep work, you know, I think part of why this has all happened is, and you write about this in the book, these quick dopamine hits are so addicting, whether mm-hmm. it's the like on Instagram or the quick I am, that's so much mm-hmm. in some ways easier cognitive load than, the, let me just respond to this, than really sitting in that maybe discomfort of the deep work of, I don't have a quick answer for this. And ooh, I gotta like lean in the muck of that. You know, I can't. <laughs> my little checklist. I can't check a box in 10 seconds over that one. Um, so do you feel like that's something that we almost need to like get back and practice with bit, build more bandwidth to get comfortable sitting in the deep work? Because I think a lot of us, maybe we've lost some capacity to do that sometimes. Yeah. I'm afraid. I mean, I've seen it in myself for sure. And sometimes what I'll do is actually with your, like your little to-do list, which I also write out. Cause that's so satisfying <laughs> to say, you know what, I'm going to do 20 minutes of ticking those boxes and it's going to be awesome. And then <laughs> I'm going to put all that away, put on my do not disturb and do some deep writing because I can already tell my attention is divided. Like there's something I really want to get done on that awesome little list. Mm -hmm. So I'll do that. I'll feed that, (laughs) you know, feed that wolf Mm -hmm. and then come over here and feed the wolf of deep reflection. (laughs) (laughs) So mm -hmm. yeah, both and like, it doesn't need to be either or, but bracket things, you know, put a timeline on it, start to really, I I have a timer like within arm's reach. I time everything, everything gets a little time. I mean, if, if I'm trying to focus or to, you know, and I want to not just go down rabbit holes or, you know, maybe I say, I want to go down a rabbit hole, but I'm going to do it for 15 minutes. Mm. And then I'm going to get focused on what I'm here to do, mm. you know, have your fun Lee and <laughs> go do and get your work done. Yeah. So be really, you know, this again, prohibition is, it's never worked for me, but creating a little containment and remembering really what is it that I'm here to do the bigger why. 
-hmm. that helps me kind of keep it on the road. (laughs) That's such a great tip because I I'm similar in that perhaps, you know, I get really overwhelmed by the idea of deep thought. It's easier for me to, you know, do the Instagram post today than I'm writing a book right now myself. We're in the editing process and that is some deep work, you know? Oh yeah. And the timing, the timer strategy was the best thing for me this summer when I was writing of, okay, I can set 60 minutes on the clock, set the phone away, set everything away and just be in it. That personally helped me get into the deep work a lot more than, all right, let me put on the to-do list, write book, (laughs) you know? Right, right. Way too overwhelming. So I think containing it through time is really helpful when it feels hard to tackle. Yeah, and if you find like, to really notice, okay, 50 minute, I mentioned that specifically, that ended up just being the right amount of time for me to do a drop in chunk of writing or reviewing or editing. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, I my body needs to move. I need to do a little something different. I can come right back and start again. But just, you know, that for another person I work with who's, um, who I, we do some tag teaming. This is another thing. If you're an independent, you know, freelance person, you know, Justin and I would wheel and deal and talk about like how, what we're going to get done and go do it come back and brag about it a little. I have another writing writer friend and she takes 20 minute chunks, which sounds like, wow, that's so short, but that's, that's her sweet spot is 20 minutes, mm-hmm. deep writing, come back out. So it's about you. And this is really, it's like comes back points back again and again to our lived experience, not what someone else, some other expert tells you. It's a guideline, right? These things are all guidelines, but really find out what's true for you through experience. Mm -hmm. And that then that becomes your plan. I love it. I love it. That is a great takeaway. And one question we we love to ask all our guests on this show, Lee, what is something, I, I sense that there are many things that you do for your well-being on a daily basis, but what are some of those things that help you feel restored, whether it's moments of actual silence or finding silence in the noise? Um, <laughs> what is it for you? Well, I mentioned dance and movement. So one thing that wasn't working for me so much when I was doing a lot of meditation, I meditated for decades deeply, you know, but what wasn't working was I wasn't moving. Mm -hmm. And so moving meditation, moving silence, moving quiet is, is one of those ways for me, that's dance, but it could be running and it could be skiing and it could be, you know, hiking, it could be gardening. That's another one. I love to go out and just watch bees I just love watching bees tumble around in these beautiful, you know, these flowers. And it's just like, wow, that is an amazing thing. And they, they don't know I'm there and I'm just watching bees, <laughs> bee watching. It's a, it's an up and coming activity. <laughs> so those are my, I mean, there's even, even in the morning, I'll have perfect quiet, actual auditory quiet as I put on my makeup. Mm. And it's like a ritual just to kind of pamper and put on, you know, oh, this serum and this thing. And okay, now it's mascara and this, but I just, I don't want, I don't want anyone to talk to me. I definitely don't want to be listening to anything. I'm just there with my morning thoughts from the dream world the night before and nothing else getting in the way. And I really think if we could protect a little bit of that morning time, there's something magical that's just occurred, you know, I mean, even if we don't remember much of it, and I often don't, 
but just to bring silence in the first thing that we don't, we do isn't turn over and like check Twitter or something, you know, in fact, have your phone far, far away, please. If you get a, get an alarm clock and don't, and don't have your phone anywhere nearby. So Mm -hmm. there's just like preserving that. And then at night, it's almost the the reverse of that to just empty the thoughts of the day to empty your um, the inform other people's information, the information about the day, maybe your worries, and to just let yourself truly um, take in a good night's sleep. Mm. Think that that's something that's like good sleep hygiene. <laughs> yes. Well, and I I hope that's something people take away from our conversation, and certainly something I got from the book as well. Just try. You know, we yeah. have so many habits. I, I know one habit, no offense, today's show, but I wake up and I turn that today's show on and it's, you know, it's on for the morning and it's just noise and it's mm-hmm. become such a habit, my morning routine. And the book and, and our conversation today has been thinking, well, what about a quiet morning? You know, mm-hmm. don't turn that TV on. What would that feel like? And so hopefully for people listening in, Maybe you just try in some small way and see, see how it feels. Absolutely. Experimentation. That's, that's the way to, to be. So experiment there. I had, it was my husband who said, you know, I don't want to hear the radio first thing in the morning league who broke me of that habit a good while ago, mm. but um, I didn't, I wasn't realizing the impact I was having on him. Um, and to your point, like sometimes it was comforting and kind of like interesting. I'm being informed and other times it was noise (laughs) and it was like, why am I starting my day with that? So to mix it up, maybe that, maybe there's a day of the week. You don't do it. Maybe there, you know, just keep learning, keep getting interested and keep being true to what is true for you and not what is true for other people. Oh, yes. Well, I could keep talking to you for quite a while, Lee. This is such a, the word that comes to mind is is beautiful conversation. You have such a beautiful energy about you. You can, you can tell that you've embraced the silence and that you're just, you have a sense of comfort within yourself that I think really has a contagious interview, energy. I feel more mm. peaceful just sitting with you. Aww. So. Um, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you for really getting this book. I can feel that in you, mm -hmm. um, and for bringing it to your listeners. And I really like to think about your 20 and 30 year olds. I'm in my fifties to think about having gotten more of this at at an earlier age, like, oh, that would have been just glorious. So, um, I really hope that this brings you and your listeners more quiet. You deserve it we all need it we all need it and before I let you go I have to ask you our final question that that we'd be remiss if we didn't ask we ask everybody this Lee what do you hope your legacy will be Mm. I think I'm here my purpose is to help people celebrate and honor life Mm. and if I leave with the legacy of having done more of that through all the different ways I like to do that then I've done well Well, I sense you're doing well. And hopefully your daughter can listen to this conversation too. All of this great wisdom you shared with us today means a lot to us, means a lot to me. Um, And Lee, tell tell folks where they can get in contact with you and your co-writer, Justin, um, and where they can learn more about Golden. Yeah. So as you pointed out, we can, you can find Golden, the power of silence in a world of noise and Amazon and our HarperCollins publisher. It's being published in 14 different languages and, um, and audible the re- the reader apprentice on is amazing. His voice is buttery and quiet and awesome. And he makes it 
better. So <laughs> those are all the ways to find the book. We're at astreastrategies.com. That's A-S-T-R-E-A strategies.com. It's where we do our work of bringing contemplation and communications together um, in a deep way. And so you can find us there. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. We're at LinkedIn. We'd love to connect with people there. Yeah. We're not so much into social media. So as you might imagine, <laughs> otherwise, but Which is wonderful. Which yeah. Is wonderful. Yeah. It's a great Testament. I think for people to see, you can still do amazing, incredible things without posting on Instagram every five minutes. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I'll just say for your audience too, we've written a few, if you go to astrayastrategies.com, there's a media tab and there are some articles in there from Harvard Business Review, talking about an organizational culture that honors silence. Mm -hmm. Fast Company did a piece. So there's a bunch of um, articles and things that are really workplace focused. So if people want to learn more about that, go deeper that way, as well as wellness and all those things. We've been talking to everybody and it's been delightful. Oh, I, I have loved the conversation and I've loved listening to your other conversations on this. And everybody, as we get ready for the month of January ahead, Join us for the Brain Health Book Club. I, I think we, uh, Justin, I think you might be joining us for yes. the month book conversation. So yeah. uh, if you are signed up for this month, you'll get a chance to actually get to speak with Lee and Justin yourself. So um, tune in for that. Lee, what a gift to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon for the book club. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of the Boardroom Brain Podcast. Let's cultivate those networking skills starting today. Share this episode with someone who could benefit from listening and leave a comment and review to let me know what you think. Subscribe to get all the latest episodes and don't hesitate to tell me who you'd love to hear on the podcast. Don't forget that you're always welcome to watch the YouTube version of these episodes as well if you'd like to experience this conversation visually. I always welcome your feedback and I hope today's dialogue sparked your own insights. Here's to fostering those healthy brains, both in the boardroom and beyond.